The last growing leader's message, we looked at David, a leader without a title, and we focused on 1 Samuel, which primarily tells us about David's life as a leader before he actually became king. And tonight we're going to focus on David as the king, and it's from 2 Samuel. And by the way, if you've ever, you know, just kind of struggled to read your Bible, I challenge you, go home and read First and Second Samuel, because it is amazing all of the things that happened in the life of David, and it will bless you, and it will help you as a leader if you read through those two books. And I don't know if it'll impact you the same way it does me, but sometimes I just kind of get started reading in there, and the time just goes, and I just keep reading and reading and reading and can't seem to get to a stopping place. But even though I've read it many times before, it's just really powerful. And so I just encourage you, read First and Second Samuel, but... 2 Samuel is a fantastic story of David's reign as king and all of the ups and downs. You see the heart of a great king, of a great leader. David shows us many great leadership principles, really, that anybody can put into practice in their life, regardless of position or title. But tonight, as we look at David the king, um, I want you to realize that he is still the same man that he was before he had the position and the title. It's just that now he is identified as that anointed king, you know, that Samuel had anointed him years before to be king, and now it's finally happened that he's king, but he's still the same man. He still, you see, he already had those leadership qualities inside, but now because of the position and the title, uh, you know, before just the sheep that he took care of and the Lord knew, but now the whole known world knows about this great king, David, what a great leader he was. But I want to read to you from Psalm 78 verses 70 through 72. It tells us that, let's talk about the Lord chose David. He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the ewes that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, was, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by, skillful, by the skillfulness of his hands. David, this great leader, he had some characteristics that any of us that have the opportunity to lead, we need to remember these characteristics. Now, I'm just actually going to give you a handful of them tonight. As I said, if you read 2 Samuel, you will see so many different qualities about this man that made him a great leader. But I'm just going to give you a handful of them tonight. But I do believe that all of these can apply to any of us, no matter who you are or where you are as a believer. But especially when you've been entrusted with leadership, when it's your time to lead. And as I said, that can be that you're the head of your house or you have employees or maybe you're over some co-workers. Or if you're a teacher or if you're ministering to others in any way, 
these principles especially apply as a leader. So we're going to look at David when it was his time to lead. And we're talking about what about you when it's your time to lead, when you're the leader. David becomes king after Saul has died. And here's what the scripture says David knew about becoming king. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 12. It tells us, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. What's the big deal about that? David didn't think that it was of his own doing. He didn't think it was about him. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. He was not a self-appointed leader. You know there's a whole lot of those today? In fact, it's kind of a worldly concept. In fact, that, you know, you want to lead, you just decide you're the leader. But that's not the way it works in the Scripture. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. And David did not appoint himself to be king. He knew that it was God who had chosen him to lead. He didn't, he didn't become the leader by popularity contest. I don't want to rub you the wrong way. I mean, I, I, I'm so thankful for our country, but he didn't become the leader by democratic vote. God picked him, and David knew that God had established him as king over Israel. And get this. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. You see, David knew that God had chosen him as king for the sake of his people Israel. A lot of leaders get real confused about this. When I say leader, I'm talking about moms and dads. I'm talking about everybody that's involved. If if you lead in any way, you need to know this. It's not about you. God chose David for the sake of his people. And every leader needs to know this. In the kingdom, we never lead because what we want. And God doesn't choose a leader because for them. No, he chooses a leader for the people. And we need to know this about being a leader. It's always for the sake of the people. David understood that. You know, he didn't think, well, now I'm king, I can do what I want. This is one of the problems with men leading their families. Listen, it's scriptural for a man to lead his family. You just can't get around that if you read the Bible. I realize it's real unpopular in our culture, but this is why it's real unpopular in our culture is because a lot of men have taken that, I'm the head of my house, that means I get to do what I want. That's not leading. I'm the head of my house. That means I get to do what's best for my family, whether I like it or not, whether it's what I want or not. And David got that. He knew that it was not about him. It was about the people. It was for the people's sake. 
You know, this is what Jesus says about leadership in Mark 10, 42. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. Now, he's not saying that leaders don't have authority, but he's talking about how they just lord it over them, and I'm just going to have my way and do what I want. It's all about me. Verse 43 says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the supreme example of a leader who served and literally laid down his life as a ransom. You see, when we're the leader, that means we get to serve. That means that we serve those we lead. Now, some people get real confused about this. They think, well, that means the leader has to do what we want. Oh, no, no, no. That's not leadership at all. And if you, you're going to let your kids tell you what to do, you're in big trouble. But it does mean that you serve them in leadership. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for them. When you're leading your family, employees, friends... It's never about you. In some ways, the higher you go in leadership in the kingdom, the more you give up your personal rights and your own personal wants. I know that's not the way it is in the world. But that's the way it is supposed to be. That's the way it is in the kingdom. That's the way that God works. Jesus makes that real clear for us. You have to know that it's about the people you serve. Next, David prayed about the decisions he had to make. We're going to read about this, an example of this. There's many times, but just an example, Second Samuel chapter 5 or 17. And we're going to work our way down through 25. Now, when the Philistines heard that, he, that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Then the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? Now, by the way, this was a principle of David as a leader without a title before he became king. He did this same thing. And this is just a good example of that, you see, in that training ground and in the person that he was, now God has promoted him and is using him in a much bigger way. And that, that principle, that heart is still there. And we need to get this, that when there's a decision to be made, you got to pray you got to seek the Lord. And I'm just going to tell you that a lot of the time, it's counterintuitive. There's sometimes when we just kind of go into automatic mode, and David didn't do that. 
He was humble enough to stop and seek God's direction. I want you to think about this. He's, he's talking about fighting against these Philistines. This is not his first time, right? I mean, the most famous story of all about David is David killing Goliath. And listen, when he killed Goliath, the Philistines' champion, then the, the Israelites went after the Philistines and slaughtered them. I mean, David knew that it, he could beat the Philistines. But you know what? He knew that he needed to seek God and ask for God's direction and not just assume and not just take for granted. And you see, sometimes it, this, this was the area of strength for David. He is known as a great warrior. I mean, they sang about him. David has killed his tens of thousands. And you know what? Sometimes in the areas where we are strong is where we're tempted not to pray. We think, I've got this. I'm good with money. I've got this. Hmm. David was humble enough to pray. He had had so many victories, but he didn't assume it was automatically God's will. One of the greatest responsibilities for a leader is making decisions that affect those we lead, whether it's our family or co-workers or people that we minister to. You know, anytime that you make a bad decision, it can bring regret. It's one thing when it just affects you, but it's a whole different level when you make a bad decision and it affects those that you lead. And I just want to say we got to be careful to always seek God's direction, not take things for granted, but to always pray. The only way you regret-proof your decisions is by seeking God's direction. We'll go on in the scripture. He says, And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Doubtless. I like that. No doubt. I mean, he's absolutely going to do it. Verse 20, So David went to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Their enemies had no power against them. It was like a mighty flood that came against them and just washed them away because it was God that did it. I'm going to pick it back up at verse 22. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphium. Now this is where it really gets interesting to me. Because it just, that just happened. And here we go in verse 22. The Philistines are coming at them again. Surely, we just go out and whoop them just like we did before. Why do we need to pray? Because God doesn't always do things the same way. You know, so this is really hard for uh, sometimes for believers. We think, well, God did it that way, so he always, always does it. Oh, no, no, no. You see, when we start assuming, we get over into pride, and we start thinking that we can do it, I'm telling you, we need to always pray. Don't assume. Don't be tempted. Listen, verse 23, Therefore David inquired of the Lord... He said, you shall not go up. Wow. 
God said, you're not going up. You're not going to go confront them. He says, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. He drove the Philistines from Geba for as far as Gezer. Another victory. He prayed. He got direction from the Lord. And I will tell you, if you're in a position of leadership, you need to realize the only way you can be sure you're leading in the right direction is that you pray and you seek God's direction. You just don't take a decision for granted. See, the Lord does things differently at different times. You know, our natural tendency is to assume that God wants to do it the same way, but we just shouldn't do that. We need to pray and ask the Lord. See, if you reach one person and lead them to the Lord by being confrontational, that doesn't mean you're going to reach the next person by being confrontational. I'm just telling you, you you need God's direction. You need to be sensitive and you need to look to him and seek for his guidance. Just because with one kid, you did it this way, doesn't mean that's going to work with the next kid. Now, you see, we do that where we think, well, this is, you need to pray. But here's another, another twist on that. Not even just what maybe worked for us before. Here's another way that we assume, and this one in a way is just even worse. Well, you know what? So-and-so, this is how they did it. I want to tell you who's really bad about this. Preachers. They do it all the time. How did they do it? How are you doing that over at your church? How'd y'all do that? And they want a copy. I want to tell you, one of the, one of the ways that a, a pastor and a church can get themselves in a mess is they say, oh, you know what? They're doing this over there, so we're going to do that. You got to pray and hear from God. You can't just copy somebody else. And in your leading in your home, leading in the workplace, you, you need to pray about those decisions. One of the craziest things, one of the most difficult things I know for all leaders, not just pastors, but for pastors, but for all leaders, the craziest thing through all of that COVID stuff was all of the decisions. And knowing that you're going to be criticized by people on this side and people on that side. And it don't matter what you do, I will tell you what you got to do is you got to pray and seek God. Well, you know, they're doing it like this over here. No, you got to pray and seek God. And, you know, sometimes maybe you don't get a clear word like where God says, okay, go hide in the bullberry trees. I mean, that was pretty specific, right? And sometimes you might not get that specific of a word, but I just would tell you, you got to do everything you can to seek God in your decisions. That's what a spiritual leader does. You don't take for granted. You don't assume. You don't just copy what somebody else did. See, just because somebody else is homeschooling and it's working for them, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to. 
David was a great spiritual leader because he prayed about decisions. Another way David was a great spiritual leader is how he worshipped. He was a great worshiper. Now you might be wondering, what in the world does that have to do with being a leader? Because as a worshiper, listen, everybody knew where David's heart was. You see, because of the way that David worshipped, nobody questioned about his love and his passion for God. By the way, I'll just give you a couple of examples. I'm not going to take for granted you know this, but David wrote many, many of the Psalms. In fact, the most famous Psalm of all is Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, that is one of the most well-known passages from the whole of Scripture. David wrote it. Here the shepherd talks about his shepherd. He learned from the best. He learned from the best how to be a shepherd of those that he was leading. He wrote Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. I'm just forgetting not all his benefits. I'm just telling you that on and on and on, David wrote all of these psalms of worship to God. And it's so important as a leader that other people know. You see, you're going to lead anybody? Well, you want to be leading them closer to God, right? And they need to see that you are in love with Jesus. People don't need more religion. They just need more Jesus. They just need to get closer to God. Now, you know, there's good religion, and if that gets you close to God, that's right. But I'm just saying, it's not about us being religious. It's about us leading people closer to God. They need to see that you're in love with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know what? How do we express our love to God? Well, we do that in our obedience, But we also do that in our worship. Our worship is to be an expression of our love to God. And I'm just just going to address this just a little bit. I don't know why men struggle so much with worship. Maybe for some it's just that old male ego, pride, just gets in the way. I want to tell you God is worthy of your worship. Maybe it's because sometimes men don't feel emotion as much, maybe. But here's the thing. Worship isn't really about emotion. It's about worthy. He's worthy of it. And maybe sometimes for some it has to do with what others think. We ought to be more concerned about what the Lord thinks. But I'm just saying that as a leader, and we want to be a spiritual leader, I think David sets a great example as a worshiper. Everybody knew that David loved the Lord. Everybody needs to know that you love the Lord. Next, David was intensely loyal. Such a great quality in a leader. People knew that if David gave them his word that they could count on it. David was one of those people that if he was your friend, he would always have your back. One example of this is a wonderful story about 
uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, who was a close friend of David. And after Jonathan had died, David wanted to show kindness to one of Jonathan's descendants. And so uh, it was because of his loyalty to Jonathan. And so I want to pick this story up in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who's left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And by the way, this was unusual because usually when a king you know, took over and the, the former king's family was still around, they would, get, they would kill them all and get rid of all of them. And David's not doing that. Instead, he's wanting to show kindness because of his loyalty to Jonathan. We're going to pick it up in verse 6 of that chapter, 2 Samuel 9, 6. It says, When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here's your servant. Now, Mephibosheth was lame. He was not able to walk. He wasn't able to make a living. He wasn't able to do anything for himself. But David says to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? See, David treated Mephibosheth so well because of his friendship with Jonathan, that loyalty. And David's men knew that he was that way. When they went into battle, they knew that they could count on David. Now, I want to make this more relevant for us today in our time. Those that you would lead, they need to know that you have their back. They need to know that you will... Stand by them, that you won't go back on your word to them. And I don't know if you know this or not. It's just kind of the culture of our church and our staff. Nobody comes and trashes out one of our staff to me. In the first place, it'd be hard to find fault with them. They're pretty great. If you don't think so, you ain't looked around. You know, I'm the weak link here. But here's the thing, though. Even if somebody wanted to, I ain't listening to that. Nobody's going to trash out one of our staff members and talk bad about them. Nobody's, I'm on, I got their back. I'm just telling, well, I better move on. I know my wife's, she's, what are you doing? But it's just, it's just the way it is. I, I'm not saying that, that when they do wrong, it's okay. I'm just saying, though, that I'm going to stand by them. I'm going to be loyal to them. I expect the same from them. And you know what? That's the way it has to be. I mean, that's the way it's got to be with your kids. That's the way it's got to be with your coworkers. If you're going to lead anybody and have any kind of respect from them as a leader, you got to be loyal to them. You know, Jonathan, in the story here, he was gone. He had passed on. But it didn't matter. David was still loyal 
to his friend Jonathan. It's also a great example of David's mercy. David showed such kindness to this man who could do nothing for him, who could do nothing in return. And I, I want to get at this. As a leader, this is a fantastic quality, mercy. Now, I know some people, some parents, they just, they don't ever discipline their kids. They let their kids get away with murder. Listen, that's, the, that's how you ruin your kids, according to the Bible. And so when I say mercy, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about that there are times as a leader when you don't treat people the way they deserve. You treat them way better. There are times as a leader that you go out of your way to show kindness. And when you do that, you set yourself apart. See, I look at so much of what's going on in our culture right now and where leaders are so cutthroat and have no regard, respect for their employees or for their constituents or people under them. I want you to know that is not the way it's supposed to be. And it is a great quality in a leader, a spiritual leader, to be able to show mercy. When Absalom, and I, there's so much to these stories, I just have to kind of let, you need to read 2 Samuel, I'm just telling you. But when Absalom, David's, one of David's sons, had tried to take over the throne away from David, I want to pick up a story here. It, from 2 Samuel chapter 16, it says, Now when King David came to Bahurim, I hate trying to pronounce these names, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continually as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on the right hand and on his left, and also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought, you, brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. This is God's anointed. This is the great King David, the mighty warrior who killed Goliath that this guy is saying this stuff to and throwing stones at him. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take his head off. I like this guy. You know what I'm saying? Let me go over and take his head off. I want to tell you, there's a lot of worldly leaders. They would say, go get him. Not David. The king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have, why have you done so? Now, later, when David is king again, we're going to pick it up there in 2 Samuel 19, 18 through 23, 
Shimei, this same guy, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he crossed the Jordan. And he says to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here am I, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the king. Here's that same guy, but Abishai, he, the son of Zerai, he says, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? David says, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zerai, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel for I, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. I just want you to see, this is kind of an extreme example, but there were many times actually that David showed mercy not only to his friends, but to his enemies. It's a great quality in a leader. You want to reach people? Let me tell you how not to reach people. Tell them how bad they are and everything that they've done wrong and how that you're against what they believe and against what they do and you're against everything and you're, you're mad at them and they're the problem. That's the exact opposite of how you reach people. You need to show people mercy. Our Savior did. And I want to tell you this great king did. He showed mercy. And it paid off. <laughs> he had so many great battles, but he also had one great fall. The most famous story about David is killing Goliath. But probably the second most famous story about David was his sin with Bathsheba. And even worse, her husband Uriah. For those of you that don't know this story, I'll just tell it to you briefly because I know you're going to read it later. 2 Samuel. But David saw the beautiful Bathsheba from his rooftop as she was bathing, and he has her brought to him, and he commits adultery with her, and then she's pregnant. And so he has Uriah, her husband, brought home from the battlefront, hoping that he'll sleep with her and he'll think it's his child. But Uriah is such an honorable man, he won't go home and stay with his wife when he knows that his men are out on the battlefield. And so David tells the leader... Joab to put Uriah out in the front of the battle and then pull back from him so that he would be killed. Such a cowardly thing. Talking about this great man, David, and he did such a horrible thing. There's a reason I'm telling you this story. Finally, Nathan the prophet confronts David about what he's done. And David says these words, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, 
You might not think that that's very profound after all of the horrible things that he did in this situation. But it's so different from the leaders of our day who justify and blame and hide and excuse and absolutely refuse to admit when they do wrong. But David did. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. It's a great prayer of confession and repentance in Psalm 51 that David wrote. And you can read that later. But I just want you to understand that God showed David such mercy. Even after this horrible sin, God still used him and honored him and blessed him. But I want you to understand this. First, he confessed his sin to the Lord. He didn't hide it when he was confronted with it. He confessed it to the Lord and God forgave him. Now I want you to understand that there were a lot of consequences. There was a lot of heartache in David's life. But God forgave him. Here's the other thing. I just want to pick this back up. Listen, God showed him mercy. David was merciful. And that's the way it is for us. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, because we shall obtain mercy. And David was shown mercy, and he was merciful. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you to follow these simple principles of leadership that in your home, in your workplace, when you're talking to people about the Lord, to keep these things in mind. Simple principles from this great man, David. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to pray.